Hello everyone and thank you for joining us on this very special podcast. I'm joined today by Yasmin, a year 13 biology student of mine, who's here today to talk about an area of biology that we don't really cover on the curriculum, that's quantum biology. Yasmin, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Hi to everyone who's listening. I'm an A-level student and as well as studying biology, I also study physics. In my opinion, one of the most interesting areas of physics is quantum mechanics and in particular how quantum phenomena affect life at a macroscopic scale biologically. So I will start by explaining some key points of quantum physics before going on further to explain how they apply to areas in biology. Firstly, particles can also be waves. There is a property called wave-particle duality. If this sounds ludicrous, there's an experiment that we do at A-level physics which directly allows you to observe this strange truth. Secondly, this wave can be thought of as a probability field. This means that there is a stronger likelihood finding the particle's position at point A rather than point B. However, the particle could be in both point A and point B simultaneously, in two places at once. This is called superposition. This can be a little tricky to understand, so it's important to specify that there aren't two different particles at A and B, but the same particle in different places. To explain this point in a different way, the particle has different probabilities of appearing in different positions and is never 100% guaranteed to be in one position. Therefore, this leads me on to the third point. There is a special phenomenon which is very important in biology called quantum tunneling. Due to the probability wave function, there is a chance that the particle in point A will suddenly appear at point Z, surpassing any energy barrier in its way. So in terms of classical physics, this can be thought of as a football on one side of a fence suddenly appearing on the other side of the fence. The fourth point about wave-particle duality is that under experimental conditions, particles are apparently aware of whether they're being observed and so will be in a single position, like a particle. Currently, we have no explanation for this. Essentially, this means that it's always a wave unless you observe it, and then it becomes a particle with a fixed position. Having now got this information, you might be asking yourself, why can't humans teleport to other places, considering we're made up of protons, electrons and neutrons? This is because of de Broglie's wavelength. Lambda equals Planck's constant divided by the object's momentum. As humans are much more massive than a subatomic particle, the wavelength is much too small to interact with anything as maximum diffraction happens around a gap the same size as a wavelength. All these quantum properties are very delicate and easily disrupted, so in a laboratory, the system is supercooled and isolated to avoid losing the quantum properties. The last quantum phenomenon I want to explain is quantum entanglement and spin. Spin is a property that can't really be pictured by us as we live on a macroscopic level, but it has discrete values and can either be up or down. But when it is not being observed, it can spin both up and down, much like a particle acting as a wave until the point of detection, when it acts as a particle again. So an electron can be spinning both clockwise and anti-clockwise, which is also called superposition. When two electrons are in a pair at the same energy level, one spins up and one spins down to cancel out the effect of each other. This is called a spin singlet state. When two electrons are in a pair, but at different energy levels, they can spin in the same direction, thus forming the misnomer spin triplet state. Quantum entanglement is that two particles can be miles away from each other, but they share properties and can almost communicate instantaneously. For example, you can detect the spin of one, and that will automatically tell you the spin of the other particle. The very act of detecting the spin forces the particle to stop being in a state of quantum superposition, i.e. both spin up and down, and pick a spin. Hopefully, we can all use these ideas, we can use all of those ideas to explain some of biology's bigger questions. 
In respiration and photosynthesis, there is the electron transport chain across protein channels. On a molecular level, the distance between each channel is relatively large. The electrons move across the channels, hopping to the adjacent one in order to synthesize ATP. However, the hopping distance was thought to be too large for an electron to jump across. An experiment was carried out in a sample of bacteria cells. As the temperature was lowered closer and closer to zero, the rate of the electron transport chain also fell as expected. However, at 100 Kelvin and below, this reaction plateaued, suggesting that classical science was no longer being obeyed. This is because at these low temperatures, there is insufficient energy for the electron to move. So whatever the temperature is, electrons can move via quantum tunneling to the next proton channel, protein channel. This doesn't rely on warm temperatures, which explains why the electron transport chain occurs even at extremely low temperatures. Protons are about 2,000 times heavier than electrons, so have a smaller wavelength, so are less likely to show quantum wave properties. However, proton tunneling is a critical process as it is used in enzymes. Enzymes are biological catalysts that lower the rate of activation energy of a reaction. Many of them work by moving protons around, more commonly from a water, H2O molecule, in a hydrolysis reaction. Another example is specifically in photosynthesis. Chromophores are pigments which can convert light energy into chemical energy, like carotene or chlorophyll. Chlorophyll has a central magnesium atom. When a light photon collides with it, the outermost electron is excited, moves up an energy state. The absence of the electron leaves a positively charged gap. This system is called an exciton and stores the energy that came from the photon. However, the exciton is extremely unstable due to the attractive electrostatic forces between the excited electron and the positive gap. So the exciton has to be transported extremely quickly to a unit called the reaction centre. In the reaction centre, reduced NADP is formed, which is a very important coenzyme in photosynthesis, which you can learn about at A-level. However, relatively, the distance between the exciton and the reaction centre is quite large. It's essentially a maze for the exciton to travel through, but the trick is that it has to get there before it loses all the energy it stores as heat. So it has to find the shortest route. It could go a random route, however, this is not very energy efficient, and photosynthesis is remarkable in that it is nearly 100% efficient. An experiment carried out by Graham Fleming showed that the exciton was actually taking multiple routes at once in order to reach the reaction centre in the shortest time possible. This is an example of superposition. The sense of smell could also have its roots in quantum mechanics. However, this theory cannot be experimentally determined yet. The receptors in the nose are called olfactory receptors. These are specialised to particular molecules. However, there are far more sense in the world than possible receptor structures. An experiment was once carried out determining that bonds which had the same vibrational frequency had the same scent. This meant that complementary shape, lock and key theory like an enzyme, was not possible in this situation as there can be two very differently shaped molecules which both share a double carbon bond so smell the same. However, with inelastic electron tunneling, i.e. loses energy due to a difference in energy levels, an electron in the receptor could tunnel elsewhere in the same receptor. If the receptor captures an odorant molecule, the energy can be lost to the operant mo odorant molecule, allowing the electron to tunnel inelastically. The electron has now moved from the origin to the acceptor position, which allows the olfactory receptor to send its action potential, a nerve impulse. The vibrational energy of the particular chemical bond has to equal the energy lost by the electron when it tunnels. This means that chemicals with the same bonds smell the same, which is proven true. 
Another amazing biological phenomenon is that of migration, the ability of organisms to track their path and to travel homewards bound again by using the Earth's extremely weak magnetic field. In fact, the magnetic field of the Earth is so weak that a fridge magnet has a higher magnetic field. The angle of the magnetic field acts as an indicator for where the nearest magnetic pole is to the, to the bird. Their chemical compass relies on something called the fast triplet reaction. The shared electron pair in a covalent bond is entangled, so when the bond is broken to make two free radicals, they are still entangled and, importantly, are in a superposition state. However, the angle of the magnetic field influences the final state of the electrons, up or down, singlet or triplet. The singlet and triplet will produce different products and reactions it's involved in. The question remains, where in the body is the magnetoreceptor? It would appear to be found in the eye because in darkness birds are more disorientated. A pigment protein called cryptochrome found in the retina forms free radicals when in contact with light. So cryptochrome is the equivalent of rods and cones for eyes is to many mag as magnetic field strength. This form of magnetoreception has been seen in robins, chickens, fruit flies and many more creatures. One of my favourite parts of biology is learning about DNA and genetics which quantum mechanics plays a role in. In DNA re replication, there are copying errors, mutations, of one in a billion. Watson and Crick, discoverers of the DNA double helix, introduced the idea of tautomerization, which is the movement of protons, and that could be a reason for mutations. Between bases, there is a hydrogen bond, which is essentially a shared proton. This proton, with its wave characteristics, has its most probable position slightly closer to one side, point A, than the other, point B, rather than in the middle, like you'd expect. So the hydrogen bond is closer to point B rather than point A. This forms the rarer form of DNA, the tautomer. The tautomer of guanine is called enol. Thiamine and guanine are both keto, and adenine is amino. So if the bases happen to be in their tautomeric forms when DNA is being copied, then the wrong bases are used in the new DNA. This means that T can now pair with C and A can pair with G. This can lead to favourable mutations which are then passed on for millennia afterwards, leading to the evolution of a species. I hope you enjoyed this introduction to quantum biology. Thank you very much for listening.